Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Front Back Sight to Sight, a podcast produced and hosted by us here at Luminos Labs with your hosts, Kristen and Drew. Today, we have a very special guest on. His name is Mike Petritus. Mike is a marketing all-star. He actually started his own business called Elix Marketing about 10 years ago. So today, we're going to talk about all things automation and how it can really change your business for the better. And then he also shares some tips with us on why you should be trying every single social media platform. I know that sounds like a lot, but before you freak out, let's dive into this episode and find out why. Enjoy. Here today, we are here with Mike Petritus. He is the owner, founder, CEO of Elix Marketing. And we are going to talk today a little bit about all sorts of marketing things. Mike. (laughs) Hell of an intro. (laughs) Best one I've had. Appreciate it. So Mike, I want you to take me back to the very, very beginning. What started Elix Marketing? Take me back to first thoughts. What brought it to life? So um, I'm originally from Chicago and back in the day, um, I went to Columbia College Chicago for audio and acoustics. I didn't major in anything that required me to dye my hair blue or green. Um, so I went for a bachelor of sciences and I, as soon as I learned that when you have to go in micro room, you have to know how to do trigonometry. I says, no. Yeah. I w- went to Columbia, um, had a bachelor in sciences, um, for audio arts and acoustics, um, did not enjoy it at all. And I took a random marketing 101 course with a woman named Ellen Shapiro. She's absolutely fantastic. And basically fell in love with marketing <laughs> and Already at the time, I was paying for college because I was a DJ. I DJ uh, for 10 years. I was in the industry and school dance industry, which is actually surprisingly large in the state, in the state of Chicago. I mean, I guess it is the state now. <laughs> but, they almost um, were a state. Yeah, right. Um, it probably should be. But anywho, yeah. when I went through uh, this marketing 101 course, um, again, I'm, 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 getting my, I'm paying my own way through college. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. And when... I kind of then went further into my marketing degree. Uh, Ellen Shapiro kind of put me up with the dean of the department and they offered me a account executive position at Leo Burnett. And for those who do not know, Leo Burnett is arguably one of the largest marketing firms in the world. Um, They have accounts like McDonald's, Coca-Cola, but when I thought about it, I was like, hey, I, I could either go and take this nice cushy job, starting salary of like 70K a year, something like that, um, and basically be told, go sell more fries, go sell more Coke, or I could do my own thing. And so obviously I took the harder path <laughs> and said, I'm going to go and start my own company. So I started my own marketing firm, my senior, uh, year of college and it's been going ever since. So that was like 2015 ish till now. So that's six, seven years almost now that we've been doing Elix marketing. And so we're primarily now we're based in Austin, Texas. Um, we're majorly a branding and automation firm. So that what that means is that we have people that come to us for website design, graphic design, um, we, and then do a ton of automation. So, um, basically we scale the unscalable. If someone has an amazing business and they're trying to go and make more money in the day, but they don't have any more time, we'll try to go and automate all the remedial tasks and make sure that all leads are followed up with properly, all onboarding systems are managed properly and we make their lives easier and more money. (laughs) Right. Cause that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. 
And that, that is interesting. One thing, uh, you know, from just like an approach side that I noticed on your website was social media won't make you sales, but it makes sales much easier. Yeah. I, I just, it really caught my attention. Can you kind of speak to that a little bit more? Yeah. So um, it, it's really funny because I think as being a marketer, <clears throat> you have to go and be your own devil's advocate at all times. You always have to assume that people are stupid and always assume that people actually have more intelligence than, than you think at the same time. So it's kind of redundant, but, uh, or ironic, but uh, <laughs> what I've noticed is that specifically, let me speak to at least in like the wedding industry, when you're trying to go and have a client go and hire you for floral catering, entertainment, photography, whatever, they're making a very emotional decision. And there's a lot of thought that goes into that decision other than price. And when you bring social media into it, what you're really, truly trying to go and do on social media is to have basically this line of support that will go and push people to making that final purchase decision. Because when someone comes into your sales pipeline, so to speak, they're going to go and obviously you're going to try to push them to some sort of sales meeting. You're going to go and talk to them. Um, they're going to read through your website, but they're also going to go and look through your social media. They're going to look on Facebook, Instagram, as Facebook as much nowadays, but Instagram, um, maybe Pinterest, uh, TikTok, if you have it, all that other fun stuff. And what they're looking for is consistency. Um, that consistency is what's going to give you a level of support and kind of a level of legitimacy in the market. Um, because if, I were to go, for example, and buy a Mercedes, but imagine Mercedes didn't have any of the marketing that surrounds the brand. They're just saying, hey, here's our really expensive car. And there was no support marketing. There's no social media. I'm not going to trust them because they don't have that consistency. When we're trying to go and sell premier level products and services, you need to have a, a whole rounded approach to your marketing that supports your actual message through and through. So if your mission statement says X, Y, Z, you need to make sure that every touch point of your brand also says X, Y, Z, because if there's any sort of uh, a clash or disagreement with that, you're going to lose trust in the client. So that's a really long way of saying that social media <laughs> is, is a really important part to making sure that people can trust you as a company and will move forward in the purchasing process. That And I think it's interesting too, and I'm, I'm curious um, from one aspect being, you know, a lot of people you're seeing right now, is it mostly the B2C space? Um, I feel like B2B is, you know, naturally kind of uncomfortable because usually their sale is a little bit longer. Maybe it's more complex. You know, are you working with a larger, you know, percentage of your work one way or the other with that? Um, so... Typically, my clients, I, we have clients all over the place. So to, to give you an example of the breadth of clients that we work with, I have a barbecue restaurant, I have wedding DJs, I have an all lesbian, gay, queer gym, a photography company, a couple of e-commerce stores, real smaller ones. We don't do too much in e-commerce, to be honest, but we're all over the place. Oh, and then there's one of the e-commerce stores, they're a, a PPE company. So they sell hard hats, uh, masks and stuff like that all over the place. But What's interesting to me is that what you said was interesting. So you, you believe that B2C is more so easy, I guess, is what you're implying with social media than it is B2B. And I would disagree with that. I think the channels are a little bit different um, because B2C is much more easy because you're thinking of, okay, offer scarcity, push people to a funnel, buy something, move on. Right. B2B, it doesn't necessarily have the same sort of, I guess, strategies 
as B2C, but it still definitely relies on social media because ultimately in my mind, all sales are, are relationship based. Whoever trusts you the most or whoever has the best relationship with you is going to uh, basically choose you. They're going to buy with you. And so when I'm thinking about B2B sales, for example, in our agency, we have done zero advertising dollars ever in the seven years we've been around um, to go and attract new clients. Everything has been because we do such a great job. We have such great relationships with our clients. It just, it spreads like wildfire. Um, that may or may not change in the future because I think advertising in general is, is a multiplier. It doesn't go and create new business. It multiplies what you already have and you need to make sure you have a solid ground to stand on before you go and multiply that. But large in part, all the B2B sales for us internally have been completely relationship based and that's completely based upon what we do on social. And it might not be my actual brands pages that are doing the work. It's my personal brand that's doing the work. So it kind of shifts oh, it that okay. way. Yeah. I like that. That's a, that's a great perspective, honestly, because that's, you know, I'm in the bit more of that sales arm. And I think that's always like how I'm perceiving it when I'm trying to communicate with B2B. It's just entirely different, but it's, it's everything up to there, right? It's like the sales guy who's like, why did I get these bad leads? Blah, blah, blah. And the marketing person's like, it literally took me 35 touch points for me to even get you that lead. So like, maybe just take a step back for a second. <laughs> yeah. I, I just was thinking, Mike, do you think that every single business, I just want your perspective on this, should be on every single social media platform? I think everyone should try every social media platform and only stick to what's effective. Um, I don't think everyone needs a Pinterest account. I don't think everyone needs a TikTok account, um, but I think everyone should try. And I think mm -hmm. that TikTok is actually a really great recent example of why you should try everything because TikTok was so new that there was no rules. I mean, now there's, there's kind of some loose rules that brands have to follow, but those were defined literally in the last year because everyone was stuck in quarantine. And so ultimately there was nothing but time to be had on a new social media platform. And so people had to go and explore and try things out. And those who took the, the leap of faith and dove into TikTok had an amazing return. Um, surprisingly, one of my clients is a wedding DJ in Detroit and he runs a large multi-op. And you would think that TikTok being that's a global platform, it wouldn't really do much for him locally. Uh, he started doing the one note challenge where he would be on turntables and he'd play one note of a song and then everyone would comment and guess what that song is. And what was really interesting about that is that now over the course of the last six months of him consistently posting on that, he now has 100,000 followers and he hits random brand deals and people send him free stuff or pay him to go and mention something, something just because he did it, because he tried mm -hmm. it. It mm -hmm. might not end up the way you think it is, but I think that social media is something that every brand should try no matter what platform it is. But if you see traction or you strategic way to utilize it, then go all in on it. I think Facebook is something that's really interesting that I've been um, very much so headstrong for the longest time saying like, it's not dead, it's not dead, it's not dead. And I still, to this day, there's clients that I go and generate like 50 to hundred leads a day for their business through the platform and they're making money off of it still. So it still is there. But I think from a branding aspect, millennials and Gen Z are relying on it less and less, but it's also kind of a necessary evil because that's your portal into Instagram. Right. No, that makes total sense. And I couldn't agree more. I think that you can't, you won't know if it's going to work until you try it. Yep. Um, on that yeah. note, <laughs> exactly. No, seriously. I almost feel like too, podcasting is something that a lot of people feel like is already dead. And it's like, well, you don't know until you try it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, what was interesting to me is that 
I went in for every weekday I did, you mentioned earlier, the hike with Mike, where mm -hmm. on my Instagram story, I would go and I do a daily hike. And then I just go and start blabbing on whatever's on the heck at the top of my head. Granted, it's getting muddy and, and cold around here. So I can't <laughs> do it as often, but the consistency was there. And to the point where mm -hmm. there's people that they messaged me, they're like, I look forward to this. Like I'm into this. And it's just something I did on a whim and I tried it. And honestly, I probably could take it a lot further. I could even go and repurpose yeah. that content onto TikTok. And now I just made myself yes. a whole content strategy. Yes. That's such a good point too, is just repurposing that content. I feel like it's that working smarter, not harder, <laughs> reusing yeah. your content. <laughs> On that note, can you talk about how would you help a brand find their target audience if they're starting from ground zero? Ooh, ooh, I love this one. So whenever I have a new client, what I typically go and do is I have a set of st strategic questions. Now, ultimately, I think every good marketer needs to be armed with the right questions. And I think a lot of marketers assume that, hey, I did this one thing for this one client, it's got to work with this other client. That's not the case. Um, every client has their own application and their own target audience. And the marketers that I've talked to and I've started to network with, especially the younger ones, I say that now because I feel old. I'm almost 30, like I'm old. <laughs> but I think a lot of marketers, they don't ask enough questions. They don't listen enough. Um, because ultimately, I think everything in marketing and business in general is binary. It either works or it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, there's a reason why. And it's our job as marketers to identify what that might be. And having the right questions for your customer um, can help you unpack the answers to whatever you might be doing. If you're trying to go and, and run a campaign, start asking questions. Uh, it's amazing what a one-hour conversation with one of my clients can go and unpack and, and truly find. Um, because with, for example, um, I have a CrossFit gym in New Jersey and I have, uh, actually I have three gyms. So I have uh, one CrossFit gym in New Jersey. I have a online, like I said, the queer uh, queer gym uh, in California, but they're online, they're nationwide. And then I also have a nationwide um, online training program that is for military personnel to make tape. Um, so what was interesting is that they're all three gyms and you would think that they have similar uh, markets. They're completely different. Um, and it's these conversations that I had with them to figure out who their core market is. The queer gym knew who they wanted to go for uh, right away. And what was interesting to me is that they were a really good lesson in how you can go and find your core audience by asking the right questions. You build this consumer profile. And the reason why you want this consumer profile is because you want to be able to go and identify this person and talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. So for example, Kristen, if you want a tacos right now, are you going to go to a place where everyone behind the counter only speaks Spanish. They only have tacos on the menu. They only put onions and cilantro on the taco, or you're going to go to cheesecake factory, which has a mile long menu that happens to have tacos at the very bottom. You're going to go to the specialist. You're going to yeah. go to the person who solely makes tacos because it's going to be a much better taco experience. And so when you're going and trying to form your, your actual consumer profile, what you need to go and do is figure out a person, give them a name, age, occupation, what do they wear? Where do they eat? Where do they hang out? Who, what kind of friend group do they have? Um, how much money do they make a year? Figure out all these different things because then once you're able to identify who that is, answering all these other questions about marketing strategies, campaigns, et cetera, gets so much easier because you're able to identify who this consumer profile is and talk to them on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Totally. It's just all about asking those questions and finding out who you're talking to, essentially. Yeah. I love that you elaborate on that. I think that's awesome because I was just talking with um, a couple of people who were graduating out of school and they're like, 
you know, what's the biggest thing I can do on a fundamental level to like get better. And I think that is like huge in marketing, but so big across so many business channels is like the ability to ask questions. Like anyone can ask a question. That's great. But are you going to get everything you needed out of the answer? Like, did you set up that person for success to get everything that you wanted to unpack? And it's, it's just interesting because you see it in particularly with like different marketers we've been talking to as we've been developing the pod. It's like, they bring that up all the time is like, how are discovery sessions going and how are we approaching this? And it's, it's funny to me because it's the younger marketers who they think outside the box and I love it, but they think that they're fresh out of school. They have all these great ideas and that they just want to implement, 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 but they're not asking enough questions. What's funny is over my shoulder over here, I have all my marketing books from when I went to, to college and when I was going through college, I was fortunate enough to have these connections through school to real marketers. And I'm comparing things that are in the books to what was actually working in the field. And by the time the publisher can go through and approve books, print them and distribute them, everything's out of date. So whatever you're learning in wow. school, focus on the principles, but mm -hmm. do not take it for gospel. And it's much better to go and listen to your clients and start testing and implementing, in my opinion, in the field. I think for, for marketing students, if you're listening, you need to go and treat school as a networking opportunity more than anything else. Learn the principles because they're important, but don't take the content for gospel and market your ass off so you can go and have an amazing network of people to support you and get you connected to the right clients and kind of find your own path in the, in the, in the space. Absolutely. Um, shifting gears a little bit. I know this is huge for you, but I want to get into automation. Um, yeah. Talking through automation, you know, when did you first, and I guess, like, how did you first discover what it could do for your business and what it could do for the other businesses as well? Yeah. So um, one of the, the things that kind of came out of growing Elix was originally we only did website design and we did some social media management, but we got out of that just because I wasn't a big fan of it personally. Um, we have media partners that do that all for us now. When we, when we grew the firm, one of the, the next big service options that we offered was lead generation. And we quickly realized that generating leads for a client is only a third of the battle. Because by the time that you get someone a lead, now you're entrusting them to do the right thing, to follow up with the lead, to go and set the appointment, to jump on the sales call, to close them, to then make money. And the problem was, is that most of the time I realized that my clients are really good at what they do and they suck at closing. They can't close the damn door. And so what I realized, and well, actually even beyond that, they couldn't even set the appointment to go and close them. And so this became this problem that we had a high rate of churn of clients because we were able to go and generate leads, but they all said, oh, the leads suck. Oh, the leads suck. And I'm like, no, they don't, that you suck. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> you're not following, like we'll go and we had reporting software that we built that said, hey, we got you this lead Tuesday at, at two o'clock. You didn't call them till Friday. They forgot about who you were. They don't give a damn about you. I had one mm -hmm. attorney that we generated leads for, and um, I, I randomly spot checked them. I put myself into their contact list um, on like a Monday, and they followed back with me the following Friday. And I get this call from Washington, D.C. I'm like, why am I getting a call from D.C.? The president's calling me? Whatever. I <laughs> and, uh, I, and they were just like, oh, this is so-and-so law firm. Just following up with you. Uh, just go and see if um, you, I think it was like a flood insurance claim campaign or something like that. And uh, I was like, guys, it's Mike. 
And I told you, I sent you this lead Monday and it's taken you this long to get back to me. Like, this is a problem. Like this is Keeping not them accountable. Yeah. You got to keep your clients accountable for sure. Yeah. But at the same time, then it makes me look evil and it doesn't help the relationship that we talked about. So ultimately we wanted to go and find a solution for automation. And so we developed a SaaS product that can go and automate all text messages, emails, phone calls, Facebook messages, Instagram messages, WhatsApp messages, Google My Business messages, basically any touch point with a lead, we automate for our clients now. So we're generating the leads for them. We put them into our software. We automatically text them. We automatically call them. We use Google Dialogflow AI to go and automatically book an appointment for them. And then basically my clients are to the point where all they have to do is jump on a meeting. And then one hour after that start of the meeting, they get an email that says, how did it go? Did you close them? Did they show a no close? Did they no show no close? They click one of those three buttons and then an entire follow-up sequence happens after that. So they just go and close and they make money and there's no other problems, <laughs> uh, which is fantastic. Wow. Um, I mean, and that's just one aspect of it because really, and I mentioned this earlier, is that automation is about scaling the unscalable. So if you wanted to go and properly follow up with an entire marketing campaign, you might need to go and hire up to four or five part-time people to go and handle potential leads. Or you can go and pay a fraction of that, get automation done that will then go and manage all these leads for you. And then your client just has to show up to the meetings. And if they don't, then you can now upsell them into closing meetings. <laughs> so uh, realistically, I mean, really all we're doing is, is building up these these kind of mansions, so to speak. Our system is very much like a toolbox. You can build a chair, you can build a mansion. It's up to you what you want to build with it. Um, but we can go and automate appointment setting. We can automate missed call text backs. So if someone calls in off of Google and then the client's in the shop, they're working on wrapping a car or something, we can go and automatically text them back and say, hey, sorry, I missed your call right now. We're in the shop. How can we help you? And then re-engage the client that way. Um, some of the other easy ones, obviously we have appointment, uh, reminder campaigns, Kristen experienced that for today. Um, <laughs> we've got a, a whole bunch of different options, really. Juan, I'm curious, like, did you see an instant change then in your clients and in their businesses after? Yeah. Cause they realized that half of them were talking out of their ass. <laughs> <laughs> they can't make, they can't go and, and close the damn door. Um, but now they yeah. realize that, oh, this is a problem. Because, I mean, that's another thing is that a lot of clients will go and tell me like, oh, I close 100% of the people I speak to. I'm like, you damn well better be closing everyone you speak to. What's your yeah. close rate compared to the macro numbers? When you have 50 leads mm -hmm. to come in from cold, from Google uh, Google ads or Facebook ads, how many of those are you closing? You're like, oh, I don't know. And like, you should know these things. And so yeah. our software is tracking those numbers for them. They're realizing uh, what's going on. They're being put into their place in a healthy manner and it's helping them realize that oh they they need to focus on what they do best and i think that's ultimately what it comes down to is if you're working with like a med spa you're really good at doing m sculpting or uh the fillers or whatever you're not good at marketing let the professionals do that because ultimately hiring a marketer who, who does uh the best at their specialty will ultimately go and expand your business. Don't try to be the jack of all trades and do everything. If you have the, the money to do it and you can sustain yourself for three months during this learning process, because typically that's about what it takes, um, then hire a marketer to multiply your business because you are really good at whatever you do, whether that's making sandwiches, uh, doing body sculpting, going in and being a uh, personal trainer. Focus on that and let us do what we do best. Absolutely. And so with that, what is for you, like how you go back and evaluate 
the beginning of these automation, like testing to see, you know, what was successful and how or why was that? Um, so it goes back to what I said earlier, where everything's binary. It works or it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, there's a reason why. And so we'll look at an automated flow. So the easiest example that I can think of right now is an um, online trainer, gym trainer. And we'll go and generate a lead. We ger generate typically about 50 leads a day. And we'll look at those numbers uh, every couple of weeks and we'll say, okay, well, actually we have weekly meetings that look at these numbers. We'll look at the, the book rate, the show rate, and the close rate, and then the attrition uh, for that as well. Because typically what they're doing is they're selling a challenge and then upselling them into a membership <clears throat> long-term. So uh, when we look at the numbers, if we break it down where, okay, out of 50 leads, we're going and booking, let's say 20% of them, I'd say that's not good enough. So now we have to go and look at what's the campaign that's being sent off to them and what's the sort of process that is getting them from a form fill to an appointment booked and where is that falling? And then we'll start looking at click-through rates. We'll start looking at deliverability rates of emails. We'll look at deliverability rates of the text messages because um, there's, there's so many factors and so many variables into a campaign, but we can just go in and narrow down very quickly based on, okay, are we hitting certain metrics in certain areas? And if not, then we figure out, okay, we isolate that metric, what campaigns are associated to that? And is it the subject line because people are not opening up the email? Is the email not being delivered? Um, is the link inside of the email not properly linked up? Is it not working? I mean, it could be one of thousands of different things when you look at the campaign at a macro level, but you just have to know how to look where. Um, but also you have to understand that when you're building out automation, it's never perfect the first time through. Um, it's very much so a learning process. So we have another workflow that we use for wedding DJs that will go and automatically ask the client, um, what's their wedding date? What's their venue? Um, or And if they don't uh, have a venue chosen? Do they ones they're considering? Like we ask them all these questions and stuff. And we have this automated, basically a chat bot that will go and take care of it. But the consumer thinks it's a real person. Um, but <clears throat> when we built that out and it's still kind of in process, cause we're, we're constantly looking for edge cases where are clients breaking the workflow and how can we go and fix that workflow to make sure that every use case is taken care of. So quite literally, I mean, we'll go and automate something for every single client. Um, and Typically in the first month or so, we're going to go and get a significant chunk of their time back just because now it's automated. But at the same time, it's going to, might take another two months or so to go and really refine it to a point where it can be left alone and no one has to look at it. Is there, you know, when referencing certain metrics, is there anything that like you usually like tie to in regard to a campaign that you're like this, like we're going to use, we're going to identify this metric the whole time and focus in on that? Or is it really just variable throughout? It's variable throughout. Cause I think trying to go and look at one particular metric is really kind of pigeonholing yourself into one area and it could cause problems. I would typically go and naturally look at what's the ROI of the entire campaign for sure. But realistically, I'm, I'm looking at everything as it happens because there could very well be some sort of change where Facebook loves to go and implement new features or new requirements all the time. They arbitrarily go and say, oh, you can't do this anymore. <laughs> I, we, we had one image we used in an ad of a fat guy eating a donut and apparently we can't use that because it's it's portraying negativity in, in dieting. I don't know. But anywho, so when when there's changes like that, you have to constantly go and evaluate the campaign. I mean, that's why we have a job. We, we're marketers. It's our job to go and uh, monitor this kind of stuff. Uh, and so ultimately, I'm always looking at everything at all times. And uh, it, it sounds like it just weeds itself out for the most part. For the yeah. most part.
It, I'd like to think that it does. Often doesn't, but I like to think that it does. <laughs> Whatever keeps you on your toes, right? <laughs> exactly. So I'm I'm curious with that. I think there's a lot of, like technology is just moving so fast right now, especially like businesses adjusting to the digital world. Um, and with you know anything, there's like what you said earlier that leap of faith to take on automation or whatever it may be with automation specifically. What do you think is like the biggest understanding or like false narrative? that people who are first moving into this place, um, you know, are often concerned upon. Nine times out of 10, my clients, when they hear the word automation, they think that they're going to one, lose control of their business and two, they think it's not personal. The, pro- the fact of the matter is that automation, good automation can be personal. Um, the beautiful thing about using merge tags and in, in campaigns and making it really personalized and using Kristen's name in a message, calling her out directly and then calling out exactly what she filled in on a form. Or um, if I have the link that she clicked on a particular house on Zillow kind of a situation, I can go and link those photos to the uh, thing. We have a, we actually have an automation flow where one of our clients that makes uh, shower doors or installs shower doors uh, for people across the country, um, little people realize that there's a, typically about nine to 12 set layouts of shower. There's no more than that. And so what we do is when people go and sign up as a, a lead to one of our campaigns, they send us photos of their shower or they choose a layout of their shower. And then every photo we send them in the automation following up with them is a photo specifically of that layout, which helps them envision what their shower could look like. So we can get really personal with these automations. We can make things really, really hyper-focused on who that client is and what they might be looking for. But the other issue is, yeah, you have clients, specifically with small to medium-sized entrepreneurs that have a control prop issue where they think that they have to go and have their fingers in every aspect of their business. They're like, oh, I, I don't want to go and put this off into automation because I want to make sure it's done right. I'm like, listen, we're going to monitor what you do and we can go and repeat what you do because we notice that you do this, this this and this every single time we take that message, put it in the automation. Now, boom, it's still you. It's just, you don't have to actively do it. And trying to break through that mental barrier can typically become a problem. Yeah. I mean, I, I can only imagine, especially too, when, like you said, those small to mid-sized companies where, you know, you want to make sure you're in control of your brand, you control your product, making sure that everything is going into this direction that you've been manifesting in your head for like, months, years, decades, and making sure it pushes the right way. That's, you know, vastly interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. So I am curious, I'm kind of taking a step back, but you talked about all of your marketing books and I'm wondering if you have one that you could recommend. For what, what application though? Mm, let's just, I don't, whatever you think. I, what's here's the thing is that ultimately, um, I don't have a ton of marketing books. It's like the, for those who are listening audio, I have like a like typical Ikea cabinet situation that everyone has at least <laughs> once in their life. And I have four of these cubes loaded up with books and I don't have much more because I know um, some of my other uh, partners and colleagues, they have way bigger book collections, but I've noted what books they don't like or books that they bought. And they're like, oh, this is going to be so great. And then later they're like, ah, it wasn't that great. I'm not going to waste my money on a book that's not good. So yeah. everything I have here is strategically purchased for a reason. Like, for example, if you're a small business owner and you're trying to go and figure out like how to go and build out your business and, and whatever, I always like Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Um, I love that really- one. It's a great book to go. I mean, it's really just everything in life, but as a business, I think that everything needs to be done with purpose. Otherwise it's just a money-making scheme and people can smell that a mile away. I love, ooh, never split the difference. 
Chris Voss, a great book for um, sales strategy. And it's basically this guy was a, a negotiator for the FBI and he wrote a book on how to go and, and apply FBI negotiation tactics for sales. That's really good. Okay. Building a story brand is decent. Ooh, here's oh, one. I, I have that one too. Systemology, really good about automation and scaling your business through uh, different systems. And this is actually not even just automation. This is like SOPs and stuff like that, um, which I think every business needs to have SOPs. If you don't, you're going to have a bad time. So yeah, those, those will be my three. Those are amazing recommendations. Um, so picking things back up here, you know, when, with the automation process, um, I think it's something for me, I'm learning a ton today. There's a, a lot of knowledge going on, but you know, if someone like me and I'm jumping into it and I come to you and I'm like, Mike, man, I got to get into automation. What tools are always like top of mind for you? And in, in your mind, what makes them advantageous? Oh, that's a good one. So the one thing that I've noticed is that marketers typically in SaaS products, they just spend entirely too much time and money in them. You, what you need to go and do is really dig deep and find out what's the really, truly good stuff. Don't just buy whatever's on sale on AppSumo for the day because um, <laughs> typically it's junk. So for me, I mean, granted, we developed our own platforms now. Um, so what I wanted to go and do was have everything in one place. I noticed that I did fall in the trap for the longest time where I bought so many different SaaS softwares. Obviously, it's ClickFunnels, Kajabi, there's Mailgun, or sorry, MailChimp, there's so many different things out there. And then you stitch them all together via Zapier. And it's like, ah, I don't, I don't like this. And I'm spending like $300 a month in SaaS products. I'm not even really using it to its full potential. So we ended up developing our, our own platform uh, that kind of did everything at once. Granted, we don't sell that many courses per se, but I wanted to go and have this automation software that's all done at, in one place. Um, so we lean heavily on Twilio. We lean heavily on Mailgun, but those are really just kind of the catalysts that allow our software to work. But otherwise, really what you need to go and do is sign up for as many different, I guess, free trials as you possibly can and make sure you dedicate true time in that whatever 48 hours, one week that you're in it and, and truly decide if it's right for you, but also be cog cognizant that you're a marketer and you're also being sold to by other marketers. Um, I've seen a lot of times where there's right. people who they'll go and try to get you into a one week trial that by the time that you've spent one week or two weeks in it, especially with CRMs, if you typically go and, and get uh, set up with like a monday.com trial or something, by the time that you put in the work to get it set up to work for you, you're like, well, I don't want to do that ever again. That was a ton of setup. I'm not going to leave now. <laughs> and they got you roped in. So yeah, that too, at the same time. For sure. I mean, definitely a lot like to consider within the space. Like, so within the automation process, when you're building out whatever plan for a particular client, is there a typical template that you follow or just a process that's involved with, you know, I want to execute A, B, and C every time, just kind of making adjustments on that end? Not necessarily. I mean, there's, if there's a template, it's a very vague one. Um, okay. Typically, like when a lead comes in, we'll always want to go and get back to the client within five minutes or less because of, otherwise, I mean, I don't know about you, but I have the attention span of a goldfish. So if I go and fill out a form yeah. and I'm not, yeah. <laughs> for sure, absolutely, less, it's gone. <laughs> that thought does not matter. <laughs> so you could know how I feel when that attorney came back to me a week later. I'm like, yeah. well, who are you? <laughs> you pay right. me what? <laughs> Someone else could have gotten to you also first within that time. So yeah, exactly, exactly. So. I mean, when it comes to automation, it, 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 we will always want to make sure that we have a touch point um, immediately with the client. We'll follow up with them again within a couple of hours, given that it's within a certain time frame. I don't want to go and text someone at two in the morning. I've pissed off my fair share of leads in that in my days. 
it's also really funny when someone fills out a form on Facebook at two in the morning, we text them immediately. And they're just like, how dare you follow with you? I'm like, how dare you fill out my form at two in the morning? <laughs> like, calm down, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Anywho, so, sorry. So yeah, I mean, when it comes to the automation, it, it's really tailored to what the client is looking for uh, and what kind of application it is. I mean, I, there's typically a, a, a set schedule that I'll follow up with the lead if we're talking about lead nurture, but in terms of setting up for literally any other system, it could be one of many different possibilities in terms of like, oh, am I doing this or that? Because again, I mean, when we go and use our software, it's literally a toolbox. There's, there's nothing in it. And then it's our job to build whatever we want or whatever the client might need. For sure. Yeah. Very like just adjusting in your approach, being on your toes. I mean... That's, and that's really just, I feel like how it should be with everything. I think we always talk about the silver bullet, but you're just, you're not going to find it. There's, if it was that easy. Yeah. If it was that easy, someone else would have done. Mm -hmm. Going off of that, how do you feel Mike about all of the changes to the privacy rules and stuff like that through Facebook and Google (laughs) and things like that? I want to know your thoughts. You know, what's really funny is I feel like this happens at least every year, if not every other year, where there's some major change to Google and or Facebook and all the marketers freak that freak out. I was about to swear. Sorry. Um, they all freak out. And then magically everyone just stops complaining six months later because they figured it out. Like yeah. the, the, the cookie stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's annoying because it's now more difficult to set up, but there's still the conversion API for both Google and Facebook. So everything's the same. It's just a little bit more difficult to, to figure it out. But once you do it once, you're fine. Like yeah. marketers need to calm down, stop bitching because your life is pretty <laughs> great right now. <laughs> yes. I've heard some people actually say it. And I guess they also want your input on this, that they believe that like marketing isn't going to be a job in say 10 years because we're going to have robots to do it all for us. Sure. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, agree. I agree. No, with so you. think of it this way. Think of us like programmers where there has been apps developed that has gone and taken away jobs from other people. We've developed touch panels that can go and enable the user to order whatever they want at McDonald's. Mm -hmm. Now, instead of going, excuse me, and having a cashier, now you have a programmer. For us, we might be a marketer now, or we might be a graphic designer now, but in reality, you need to think of yourself as the programmer of these things. So So that's why we've positioned ourselves more so into automation because at the end of the day, the automation is doing all the heavy lifting. We're doing the top level strategy and and kind of connecting the dots. And there still requires, it still requires a ton of skill and foresight, foresight, wow, sorry, um, (laughs) foresight to go and stitch all these things together and put together these systems. I totally agree. That's, that's, that was literally exactly like my thoughts on it too, where I was just like, well, there still needs to be somebody behind it. Like robots mess up all the time. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, there's somebody there's uh, Jarvis.ai for copywriting now, which is mm-hmm. pretty good, but you have to know how to train it to say what you want okay. to say. So like, there's all these apps that are using AI. There, there's AI based ad creation Nine mm-hmm. times out of 10, the ads suck and don't perform for the record. Jarvis.ai is the first tool to be totally honest. I don't have an affiliate link. I wish I did. Um, <laughs> that is halfway decent, but it's only decent because whatever you put into it, you'll get the same quality out. But if you put shit in, you're going to get shit out. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I wow. mean, Tesla's AI, I mean, it's, it's able yeah. to go and drive cars on its own with relatively ease. I mean, it's a matter of time, but is it going to happen mm-hmm. now? No. No, I agree. I mean, I- in theory, you know, if, if we get technology advancing enough, you can 
replace Eddie Wood's job for doing anything with a robot. Yeah, we're all going like, to end up being yeah. in the metaverse, chilling with Mark Zuckerberg, and it'll be a good time. <laughs> so I want you to pretend like you're doing a hike with Mike, like you brought up earlier, and just give our audience a tip or just anything that you would talk about on a hike with Mike? Um, you know, actually, it's funny because uh, I recorded a hike with Mike uh, over a week ago and I forgot to post it and I still forgot to post it, but now I can't post it because it's been too long. Oh no. But the, the, the topic was never think that you know everything. So um, yeah. there was a situation where a couple of weeks ago, one of our clients who we run Google ads for just nothing was working. Like it was complete garbage. And so I went and I'll do a shout out to, I got to find, actually, I'll, I'm going to pull this up on another screen over here. Um, I went and I purchased a, um, a, an actual lesson from another marketing firm that they're really, really good with teaching Google ads. I think it's like Solutions 8 Media or something. They have a fantastic account, YouTube account with a bunch of free content, but then they also have paid courses. And so what happened was, is that I, I went and I bought the most recent course and I went through it. I implemented uh, some of the actual, I guess, things that they wanted us to go and try. And yeah, Solutions 8 Media, I found them. So anyway, I put uh, a lot of what they actually taught into practice. And lo and behold, my click-through rate doubled overnight, which is fantastic. Wow. But I think that what, what's interesting to me is that there's a lot of marketers who, actually, I, <clears throat> I understand why they feel this way. There, there's a lot of marketers who are hesitant to go and listen to others because there's a lot of bad advice out there. But at the same time, there's mm -hmm. also good advice. So as a marketer, you need to make sure that you don't get too cocky and you need to realize that there's always a learning opportunity around you. And this is actually more even outside of marketing too, where it's like no one, no single person knows any, everything I should say, but everyone knows everything, if that makes sense. So if yeah. you understand that everyone around you knows something that you don't know, and you're able to decipher whether it's true or not, then that should be something you can implement in your life because who knows, you might double your success overnight. That is great advice. And I could not agree more. Like that's, it's just like when you open up your mind to realizing that you don't actually know everything and it's okay to admit that and then go and learn it. Like, I feel like your life will just be so much easier. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. That's very uh, full circle with your initial point of just asking the right questions and digging through everything, like being in a place of vulnerability and understanding that you know, you're not the smartest guy in the world. Like I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I bet there's a bunch we can take away and pull apart and be able to like really break down as you know, we're trying to progress and move forward in whatever capacity in our careers. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, it's been fantastic having you on today, Mike. We appreciate all your time and insight a ton away here today that I was not even on my radar, but it's been a blast having you. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Wait, before you go, if you found this episode helpful, please don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast. Feel free to share it on social media, share it with friends. Let us know what you think. We want to know what you guys think and we hope that you're enjoying it. Like and subscribe so you can get notifications when we post. We usually post every two weeks on a Monday. So thank you so much for listening and we hope you come back.